Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. All right. Okay, we're going to jump right into this. I'm going to um, start by telling you guys a, uh, a story. It's a story um, that uh, happened in the Washington, D.C. metro Station. So uh, if you've ever been to D.C., um, D.C. has a, a pretty robust network of, of, you know, subway situation and obviously a very busy city. And so the, the subway system in the morning, the metro, is always very, very busy and people coming and going and commuting and all that kind of stuff. And so one particular day, this is a few years ago, um, it was just, you know, a normal, normal day for people to commute to work. And so the subway was packed and people everywhere getting on, getting off. And a man, um, you know, kind of walked down the, the stairs into the subway station. He was holding a violin case and he, um, he set down his violin case, opened it up, pulled his violin out, kind of took the violin case and faced it out towards people and put a few dollar bills in there to kind of encourage some people to throw some money in, uh, in the, the violin case. And then he began to play. Um, but it wasn't just any ordinary street musician. Um, this was a man named Joshua Bell. And Joshua Bell is the most renowned violin player in the entire world. When Joshua Bell is going to play somewhere, it always sells out. He's actually going to be in Escondido, I think I saw in May, and like at the California Arts Center, it will be completely filled. And I want to say that the tickets down on the symphony floor are like $660 to watch a guy play the violin. Like he's not accompanied by an orchestra, it's him playing the violin. He sells out the, the, the Boston State House. Like he is, everybody knows, he's the greatest violin player in the world. And the violin he was playing is called the Gibson um, X Huberman Stradivarius Violin. It's $4 million violin. Was built in uh, the year 1711. And so Joshua Bell is down in the DC Metro subway playing on a, a weekday morning um, while everybody's on their way to commute to work. And it was actually a social experiment put on by the Washington Post. And the idea was, would people be able to notice uncommon beauty in a common setting. And so Joshua Bell opened up his $4 million violin, pulled it out, tuned it, and began to play. And he played some of the most complicated pieces of music that have ever been written, and he played it flawlessly. And over the course of several hours, thousands and thousands of people rushed down the stairs, on the subway, off the subway. Nobody stopped. Nobody stopped to listen to this master of his craft playing one of the finest instruments ever made and playing it perfectly. There was actually only one little boy with his mom, probably on his way to daycare, that kind of stopped and was intrigued by what he heard until his mom grabbed his hand and said, come on, baby, we got to go, and, and off they went. I think he collected, I think, $32 um, over the course of several hours playing a $4 million violin playing better than anybody plays the violin in the world in the DC metro subway and it was uh, it was a 
again, it was a, a social experiment to see would people be able to recognize real beauty when it was in their midst? Would people be able to recognize the uncommon among the common? Would they be able to recognize the sacred among the secular? And uh, the answer was, unfortunately, no. It is possible that we as human beings can get so busy that we don't notice when like divine beauty is standing right before us. When, when sacred things, things of heaven, things of God are in our midst, we can just treat them as, as just commonplace because we're, we're so busy and, and, and hustling around and, and rushing. And today I want to talk about something, an area of life that I think this happens to us a lot, and it's the area around our words, the words we say. The title of my message is Words Create Reality. Words create reality. As human beings, we talk all the time. I'm talking right now. You all should not be because I'm talking. It would be rude if you were talking right now. We talk all the time. Girls, you talk way more than we do. Yes, actually three times more to be exact. Women on average speak about 20,000 words every day. Men, we're at seven. 7,000, not seven words. Some of us are at seven words. Come on, somebody. And a wife said amen. We talk all the time. We're always talking. But it's easy to miss that, that the power of speech and the power of communication is actually divine. It's holy. It carries tremendous weight. But we can treat it as just common because it's part of everyday life. So um, a couple of months ago, I was accused by someone in our church of engaging in something that they call nerdy preaching. It was Pastor Lorena. And I should let you know that when you call a nerd a nerd, it does not discourage us at all. We're actually emboldened. When you call a nerd a nerd, you better look out. The nerdness is coming out. And so y'all better buckle up for some nerdy preaching today. Come on, somebody. That's right. So I looked at Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, which is the entire creation narrative in the Bible. And so in Genesis chapter 1, you have God creating the universe, the world. Genesis chapter 2, you have God creating man and woman. And in Genesis chapter 3, you have the fall of man where the devil tempts Adam and Eve and they are separated by God. Sin enters the world. The entire, you know, sort of... Uh, Genesis of the world, hence the name Genesis, is found in the first three chapters of Genesis, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. So I took just the, the raw text from Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and I put it into ChatGPT, which is an, an AI engine, artificial intelligence engine, and I asked ChatGPT to count all of the verbs for me. So a verb is an action word. So give me all of the verbs that happen in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And I don't know why, I don't know if anybody else is like this that uses AI tools, I find myself being weirdly polite all the time. Like, I always say please. Like, when I'm typing, I'm like, can you please count all the verbs in this passage? And I always, and I, and I think it's because if one day the robots take over, they'll remember the polite guy from San Diego. They're like, hey, there was that one guy that was actually kind of nice to us, so maybe let's not kill him. We'll just make him our slave or something. So it's really self-preservation. And I also think of AI as a woman because only a woman could be that helpful 
If AI was a man, it would be like, yeah, whatever, figure it out yourself. Anyway, so I asked ChatGPT, I said, can you count all of the verbs that are in Genesis 1, 2, and 3? And she did. And then I said, can you um, organize them and rank them in order of the verbs that, that occur the most? And it was very shocking that the number one verb, like far and away, in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is the verb say or said. And like not even close. Like I think the word said or say or, or some, some derivation therein is used 54 different times in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And like the next closest verb is like used nine times. Like the entire creation of the universe is a conversation using words. And so how can we think that words have no meaning, that words are just, oh, you know, just, just being sarcastic. I'm just, oh, I'm just joking around. We, we, can't, we can't treat our speech in the words we say flippantly because they have power. They were literally used to create the universe that we live in. And so if we look at Genesis 1, 2, and 3, there's uh, four main characters. There's God. There's Adam and Eve. And I'm going to call Adam and Eve one character because the two shall become one flesh, so they're, they're one. And then the devil. So we really have three main characters. We have God, we have Adam and Eve, and we have the devil. Now, it's interesting because in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, all of them say stuff. They all, at different times, say different things. And we're going to look at a few different examples. So in Genesis 1, verse 3, everybody's heard this. Even if you have no church background, don't know the Bible at all, everybody has heard. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. So when God speaks things get made. Things that didn't exist before now exist. When God speaks, things are created. Then if we, again, looking at Genesis 1, 2, and 3, if we look at Adam and Eve, they also say things. And in Genesis 2, 23, it says, and Adam said, this is now, he's talking about his wife, by the way. He just got put into a deep sleep and he wakes up and there's a naked woman in front of him. So Adam is like, this is awesome. I like this garden. This is a good place. Adam says, uh, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called womb man because she was taken out of man. And so when Adam said things, when Adam speaks, he can't create because he's not God, but Adam names things. And actually, if we look a little um, further in Genesis chapter 2, the Bible says before he creates Eve, he brings all of the animals before Adam and whatever calls Whatever Adam called those animals, that was their name. So in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, when God speaks, he makes things. He creates things that weren't there. When man speaks, man doesn't have that capability, but what man can do is he can name things. Naming is a way of organizing and building. That's why you, you name your kids so that they can be distinguished from other human beings. You guys know George Foreman, the boxer? He named all five of his biological sons George Foreman. True story. His name is George Foreman, and his five sons are called George Foreman. Can you imagine? That's true. Can you imagine how confusing it would have been when they were all little running around? George! Like, what does that even mean, George? You talking to yourself? You talking, I don't know. It's confusing. We have the ability to name and call and organize and build things with our speech. When we speak, when man speaks, we see in the beginning of the Bible, that man names things, he calls things, he organizes, he builds with his words. And lastly, the devil also speaks in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And in Genesis 3, 1, the Bible says, uh, he, being the devil, he said to the woman, Genesis 3, chapter 1, did God 
really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden. So he, the devil, he said, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So when the devil speaks, he takes things that God says and changes them just a little bit. Because what God said was, you may eat of any tree, just not that one. And so then what the devil says is, hey, did God tell you that you can't eat from any tree? Do you see how sneaky that is? He takes God's words, repeats God, but then just changes it a little bit. And that's what happens when the devil speaks, is he twists and perverts and changes things that God has said. We're going to get to that more later. Now, it's interesting. Again, I told you all I'm going nerdy. And I'm, I am unashamed of my nerdiness. In Hebrew, the word for say, said, speak is, there's two different words. There's a word amar, A-M-A-R, and there's the word dabar, D-A-B-A-R. And there's not really, I was doing some research trying to figure out if there's a, a good sort of English equivalent to, you know, show the distinction between those two words. And there's not really a great one. The best I can do is, you know, in English, we just say to say, you know, like, you know, and then Pastor Ito said, blah, blah, blah. And that's a little more, it's a little more common, a little more like we, we use that all the time, right? Then there's the word speak. We don't really say speak near as much as we say say, and it's a little, it carries a little more weight, a little more gravitas. Like if, if Ito says, hey, I've got something to say, we're like, oh, okay, you know, I'll hear you out. If Ito says, I would like to speak, it's like, oh, everybody be quiet. Pastor Ito's about to regulate. So there's a little, does that make sense? There's a little bit of a different, it carries a little bit of a different weight to it. And that's the way that the word amar and dabar are in Hebrew. So in Hebrew, the word amar is that common, like it just means said. Just means said, just, just very common. But the word dabar is, is a little more, it carries a little more weight to it, a little more gravitas to it. And that's that word dabar. Now you would think when God is making the universe, like the planets and stuff, that he would use the word, the Bible would use the word dabar, but it doesn't. It uses the word amar. Just the common, like, it's just like God's like, oh, yeah, let there be light. Yeah, you know, maybe uh, let's just do some planets and stuff. That'd be cool. And it's interesting because when Adam speaks, when Eve speaks, and when the devil speaks, it's all that same word, amar. There's no distinction between the verb that the Bible uses for when God speaks and when man speaks or when the devil speaks which means the Bible's trying to tell us that there is no distinction, that the same power that God has when He speaks, we have when we speak. There's no distinction. You'd think that the Bible would maybe use that word dabar for when God is speaking, but then amar when we're speaking, but that's not the case. The Bible uses that same word amar for all of us, for all of the speech in the creation narrative. Now, one of the big objections to this is, oh, I, I, I've heard of churches like this. This is one of those name it and claim it, confess it, possess it, blab it and grab it kind of churches. And that's not what we're, I'm not, not what I'm talking about, okay? I'm not just, you can't just say whatever you want and, and like, like God's not a genie. You don't just say open sesame or abracadabra. That's not how it works. Like you can, maybe you and your wife have been in a fight the past couple weeks and you just want to, you just say, I just declare in the name of Jesus Christ by the power of Elohim and all of his angels, God's going to give me a new wife, I would, I would never, I would never say that. It's a teaching illustration only. God's like, yeah, sorry, I, you know, that's not how it works. Like, you chose her, she's yours, figure it out. Like, you can say whatever you want, you know, God, I'd love a 
sparkly pink unicorn. doesn't matter because they're not God's words. It's only powerful when you're speaking God's words. can't just be your words. They've got to be God's words. And so that's why knowing God's word matters. That's why reading your Bible matters. It's not because it's some spiritual discipline and, oh, you know, if I don't, being a Christian means I got I to gotta hunker down and read my Bible 30 minutes every day and have, you know, what the Baptist church calls a quiet time because that's a, da, da, da. that's not it. It's you equipping yourself and understanding the words that God says because if you have the words that God says in your mouth, when you say them, they carry just as much weight because they're not your words, they're God's word. But if you don't know God's word, then don't be frustrated when you're praying and things aren't happening. Because you're praying things that God's like, yeah, you know, I'm, that's, not, that's not how it works. It's not what I said. So I want to give us three different areas in our life where um, I, I believe that as a church family, if we can learn to, to exercise our words and be, be um, what's the right word, be more careful, be more intentional with the words we speak in these three areas that we will see God's power manifest in our life. In Isaiah 55, verses 10 through 11, it says so beautifully about God's word. It says, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And I love that. It compares God's word to the water cycle here on earth. And Pastor Rudy Batiste would know well that moisture accumulates in clouds and then it either rains or snows and that water falls to the earth. And if it lands on a mountain, it rolls downhill until it hits fertile soil. And if there's seed in the ground, the water in the soil causes that seed to sprout and bud. And then what's crazy is then, then you know, the, the water evaporates back to the clouds, but people feast off of the produce of the land. And so that's the, the Bible says that's the way that God's word works, that every word that comes from the mouth of God has a purpose. It has something that you can feast on. It has something that can nourish you. It has something that can provide um, sustenance for you. And, it, and God says it never, like you never see, like rain doesn't just like fall out of the clouds and then as soon as it falls out, just go whoop right back into the clouds. It goes to the ground, goes through the whole cycle into the soil and then evaporates back up. And the Bible says the word of God God is the same way, that it never just leaves God's mouth and flies around for a little bit and then comes right back. It goes into the earth and it accomplishes exactly what it was meant to accomplish. But again, if you don't know God's word. So I want to give you three quick points, three different areas where we can leverage the, the, the power of words to see God manifest in our lives. Point number one, words of faith. Words of faith. I would say probably the single greatest transformation in my life, and Katie could attest to this, is the way that I speak now. When I first got to this church, I was the most sarcastic, um, just negative speaking person that you've ever met. And I would just say harsh things, and my, my words would always cut and and now it's crazy. I, I, like I am the language police in my house. If my wife says something, I say cancel. Nope. Mm, cancel. No, double cancel. Like my wife can't get away with anything. 
She says one negative thing about herself. Oh, my, my brain these days. I said, like, cancel. Your brain is amazing. You are, the, you are the smartest person in the whole wide world. I cancel her left and right. Because I'm not going to let negative words infiltrate my home, my family, my future, because I know the power of our words. I dare you. I dare you. Come around me and say something negative. I'll cancel you. In uh, the book of Numbers, um, I'll give you, you know, quick 30-second catch-up on the history of Israel. So Israel, the Hebrew people, their whole nation started in captivity. They were slaves to the Egyptians, and they're just, it was terrible, you know, tyrannical leadership from Pharaoh, making bricks and building stuff for the Egyptians. Finally, they had enough. God comes in and raises up Moses, says, Moses, you're going to be my, my guy to get everybody out of this, this um, tyrannical situation. And so Moses says, okay. You know, he goes to Pharaoh, says, Pharaoh, you need to let my people go. And then Pharaoh says, yeah, right. Why would I do that? I got a great deal going on here. And then Moses says, you better do it or God's going to do some bad things to you. Moses says, I don't care. Or Pharaoh says, I don't care. So Moses says, okay, watch out. Then these 10 plagues come, bam, 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 bam. Finally, Pharaoh's like, okay, never mind. Please leave. And so out they go, a million plus people out into the wilderness, Moses as their leader. And God told them that they're going to go to a land that he had promised to them. And so they straight away, they go straight from Egypt, straight to the promised land. It doesn't take long at all. They get there at the doorstep of the promised land. And they, Moses sends 12 spies into the land. Okay, the 40 years hadn't happened yet. The 40-year thing is because of what happened right here in the spy story. So they get to the promised land straight away. They're right there at the doorstep. They're ready to rock and roll. So Moses says, I'm going to send 12 spies into the promised land, and uh, we'll just kind of have them come back and tell me what's, what's going on. And so 10 of the spies come back with a negative report. Two of the spies come back with a positive report. Now, it's interesting because they both saw the same thing. It wasn't like one, you know, 10 of them saw one part of the land and the, the two saw another part of the land. They both saw the exact same thing. But 10 of them come back with a negative report. Two of them come back with a positive report. The negative report is found in Numbers 13, verse 31, should be on the screen. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And the, when he says the people, he means the inhabitants of the land. God told him, like, hey, you don't just walk into this land for free, there's going to be people there that you have to dispossess. You have to dispossess the land from its inhabitants. And then it says, and they gave, they, the spies, gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. That's the 10 spies. They're losers. Two spies, Joshua and Caleb, Numbers 14, verse 6 through 9, we have their report. But Joshua, the son of Nun and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who despite out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And Pastor Jurgen has said this many times, and I love it. And so he asked the question, you have the ten, you have the two. Who was right? They were both right. It's a trick question. They were both right. The ten said we can't do it. And guess what? They died this side of the promised land, and they didn't do it. The two said we can do it. And guess what? They did it. Joshua and Caleb were among those that entered into the promised land. So don't you see... It is, as they said, both groups, 
Their words created their reality. Ten of them said, we can't do it, and they didn't do it. Two of them said, we can do it, and they did do it. It's the power of the words we speak. Joshua and Caleb came back speaking words of faith, saying, yeah, you know what? There's giants in the land, but if God is for us, then who or what can be against us? Do you speak that way when you encounter discouragement in your life? When you come up against, and you know, like, I don't know about you, I mean, like, I get discouraged all the time. It happens all the time. Like, you know, you think something's going to happen in business, and it doesn't happen. You think whatever. Like, it just it happens a lot. You, you start to, to, to get down on yourself, start to have moments of insecurity, and you can, you can put your amen with that discouragement, or you can say, hey, no, 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 not me, not me, because I am a child of God. I am no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Any tongue that rises up against me in judgment I will condemn. Do you know the power of your words? Can you speak words of faith? Um, when we first got to the, the church, I was like, I was barely a Christian, barely, okay? And I certainly didn't, you know, believe in, in you know, that, that God still moved in power today. Like, I, I just, you know, I don't even know what I thought. I just, I was a mess. 90% of me was like, this is dumb. There was 10% of me, though, that was, there was something about it I wanted, and so the 10% of me kept me here, even though 90% of me was like, this is dumb. And um, Katie would remember I also had a really bad back injury way back then. I had a, a 9 millimeter right paracentral disc extrusion in my back. And uh, I, was, I was messed up. I mean, I was 25 years old, uh, 28 years old. But, like, I, I, was, I couldn't walk. I mean, getting up and down out of a chair, couldn't sleep. Like, and Katie was sweet for a while, and then she just got frustrated. and was like, okay, quit being a wimp and stand up straight. And I was like, yes, ma'am, but then I couldn't. Anyway, and I, I remember we came to this church, and, and I started to hear, you know, stories about how God heals and miracles happen and, and would, would hear stories of that happening for other people. And, again, 90% of me was so cynical and was like, yeah, right, okay, not, you know, that's all made up. You're making it all up in your head. But there was 10% of me that was like, gosh, I want that to be true. I want that to be true so bad. And so I remember just having this conversation with God, which I barely did, just kind of stumbling my way through and just said, okay, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really try this. I'm going to really try to believe this. And so I just started believing that God was going to heal my back. And Katie and I would pray, and anytime there was like an altar call, you know, anytime there was like a healing evangelist coming to the church, and they say, hey, come on down if you need healing, I wouldn't run. I was like, it's like this, you know, I was the last, I was like the I was like the guy outside the pool of Bethesda. Nobody could get to, into the fountain, you know? Like, that was me. I just like, wait, don't pray yet. I'm on my way. And if I was honest with you guys, nothing happened. Nothing happened. Never got this radical, instant, you know, moment of, of healing and was so frustrating. And I, I had these moments where I was like, God, like, I'm, I'm trying. You know this is hard for me. And I'm putting myself out there like... It's embarrassing for me to hobble up to the front, and, and I was just, like, so frustrated at God that he wouldn't, wouldn't do this, this thing. And so I was like, well, you know what? I guess I'll just have to do it my own way. And so I had heard about this crazy chiropractor called Dr. Matt Hubbard, and so I went to him and, and ended up, like, Dr. Matt totally fixed my back. I saw him for a year. I would go into his office, like, three to four days a week, every single week for a year, and have been great ever since, no problems. But it was this, this frustrating thing for me of like, you know, and I got over it. It was like, okay, maybe there's just something, you know, bigger plan, whatever. And so for years and years, you know, life went on. We, we fell in love with the church, serving the church. And, and then while Katie and I are living in Oceanside, this is only a handful of years ago, 
we were living in Oceanside, building a house down here in, in Chula Vista. And some of you guys would remember that, that season for us. And um, all of a sudden, I started to, like, I'd notice I was, like, really sore in, in certain areas of my body, like in my chest and in, under my arms and even in, my, like, my hip and groin area. And I would have these lymph nodes that would swell up super, super big, be super painful. And I was like, okay, that's probably not good. And so just kind of went on for a couple months and finally decided, like, I should probably go to the doctor. And so I went to the doctor, had some blood work done. And listen, I love doctors. Praise the Lord for all of you. If you're in here and you're a doctor, but I would also like if they could do, like, manners 101 for doctors. Like, just have a class that just teaches you how to be polite, you know. So I'm, I'm there, and, you know, I'm a little freaked out. Like, there's something going on, and, and like, the doctor is, like, you know, took, the, took my blood. was like, okay, we'll send this off to the lab. You know, generally when we see something systemic like this, it's normally something pretty serious like HIV or leukemia or something like that. Anyway, have a good day. And then she left. Like, that's how she left me. I'm like, well, both of those options are really bad. Is there any, is there a third, you know, maybe? Anyway, and so for a couple days, you know, I'm just like, waiting on this, you know, report, results come back, and I was diagnosed with something called um, CAEBV, which is chronic acute Epstein-Barr virus. And Epstein-Barr virus is a virus that every single one of us have, um, but it's in certain people, if the environment's right, you know, your, your body just kind of goes, goes crazy and the virus spikes up. And it's the same, like when kids get mono, you know, mononucleosis in school, it's, it's that. But in a chronic and acute um, situation, it's, it can be really debilitating. And so I was always in pain, super sore, um, exhausted all the time. And, uh, and then I began to, to think like about believing God to heal me. And then was confronted with all the thoughts I had about, well, I tried this before. I've been down this road before. And I remember having a conversation with my wife, like, how do I, how do I overcome the disappointment of not being healed the first time? And I remember we were in a worship service, and, and again, I was just always in pain. It was just like 24 hours a day of just kind of this dull, obnoxious pain all over my body. And uh, we were in a worship service, and Pastor Leanne was preaching, and, um, and I remember, you know, the band was kind of playing, and she was in this moment of just kind of praying for people, and she said, if you need healing in your body, I want you to lift your hands. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. Like, I, it was so hard for me to work through the fear of being disappointed again. But I just made the decision, and I actually said out loud, I declare that I am healed. And as I lifted both of my hands, I noticed that all the pain was gone. And I hadn't felt that way in months and months and months. And from that moment forward, never once have I had a swollen lymph node anywhere in my body. I was healed in that instant. And it's because of the power of our faith, the power of speaking words of faith. And my question for you is, have you allowed discouragement in your life to tamp down the words that you speak? Your own, listen, like we serve, like the Bible says, his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not your thoughts. Like there have been times in my life I have prayed for things that I was sure that I, I knew that I knew that I knew that God was going to do and he didn't do it. And then how do you deal with that moving forward? It's because it's not your job to understand, it's your job to believe. That means the next time something comes around again, you just believe again. You believe again. You believe again. And so what area of your life have you allowed discouragement to limit the, the level of faith in the words you speak about different areas of your life? Can somebody say amen? Yeah. Point number two, going fast. Words of authority. 
Do you know how to use words that carry the authority that have been given, that has been given to you? Jesus said, this is Jesus, kind of the central figure of our faith. If you didn't know that, he's actually king of the universe too. So maybe you should listen when he says that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus said that. Right before the Great Commission, he said, oh, I'm going to tell you something, but just so you know, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go, therefore, the implication being because I have the authority, I give it to you. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize them, and that's the Great Commission. But God's, Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth have been given to me. Now, it's one thing to have authority. It's another thing to exercise authority. Pastor Ito is a detective in the San Diego Police Department who's thankful for our civic servants. Appreciate you keeping our city safe. Pastor Ito has authority to arrest people. He'll arrest you right now. You do something bad, Ito will arrest you right now. He has authority, and if you resist that arrest, then he'll just hurt you and then arrest you. That's how it works, because he has authority. Now, Pastor Ito could choose not to exercise that authority. He could watch somebody steal something and just watch. He has to actually exercise the authority that's been given to him and arrest that person for stealing those Skittles from the gas station. Just kidding. You probably don't get arrested if you steal Skittles. You have to exercise the authority. It's one thing to have authority, but you have to exercise it. So Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, but then Jesus also exercised that authority. Jesus healed the sick and cleansed lepers. Why? To show us that he was exercising authority over sickness and disease. Jesus calmed the storm and he walked on water. Why? To show us that he could exercise authority over all of creation. He casted out demons. Why? to show us that he could exercise authority over the powers of darkness. He forgave sin. Why? To show us that he could exercise authority over the sin in our life. He raised people from the dead, himself included. Why? To show us that he could exercise his authority over death. Jesus exercised authority. He didn't just have it. He exercised authority and then said in John 14, 12 through 14, most assuredly I say to you, I want you to listen closely. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. He exercised his authority while on earth through all kinds of spectacular signs and wonders, and then said, oh, by the way, when you pray in my name, when you believe in my name, even greater things you will do. And so my question is, how many of us are getting our butt kicked by the devil because you're not exercising the authority that you have? You have it. You're, I feel like, and I got this picture, it's almost like, it's like there's like these little pesky demons in your life and they're just kind of like looking at you like, and they, you know, they mess some stuff up and they just kind of wait. And they watch you, and you don't do anything. And so they're like, oh. So then they go in a little further, and they, and you don't do anything. And these demons are emboldened in your life, 
Because even though you have authority, you're not exercising it. But if you would just say, hey, in the name of Jesus, I declare that you are gone out of my life right now. I forbid you from operating in my family. I forbid you from operating in my home. I declare that I am a son or a daughter of the living God. And off they go. That's you exercising your authority. You have authority, but are you exercising it? And point number three, we've got to learn to speak words of identity. Words of identity. The devil is a liar. The Bible says in John chapter 8 that he's actually the father of all lies. That's, that's aggressive. That's what the Bible calls the devil. He's the father of all lies. And remember, we looked at it at the very beginning of, of our time together in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. When God speaks, he creates. When man speaks, he builds an organ. You know, like, we, we can't create. Anybody, anytime you hear somebody say, oh, you know, beautiful Annika is so creative. And I know this is semantics, but it's technically not true. Annika is one of the most amazing arrangers of things that God has already made. That's what a, a musician is. That's what a, um, a pick, pick an art form. They are, so there's only 12 notes. When people write songs and they make music, they don't, you don't create new notes. There's only 12, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and then the sharps and flats in between, that's it. It's who can arrange them the best. And so when, when Annika writes a script or she's arranging things that God has already made in a masterful way. So like we are actually, and I know it's semantics, but it's, we're not creative. Only God is creative. When God speaks, he creates. When we speak, we build and organize. But remember, when the devil speaks, he twists and perverts. He takes things that God has already said and changes them just a little bit. Any sin, any sin is a perversion of something good. And I want you to think about that. That's pretty crazy. I don't know if you guys were here a few weeks ago. I preached the message on joy. And Jesus actually said about joy, he, he equates having joy to, to being like a, a woman in labor with a baby, that she's in, she's in tremendous pain. But when the baby comes, the pain is instantly washed away because of the joy of holding that baby. And that's, you know, that's self-medication. The Bible actually says that joy is self-medicating. But then the devil takes the principle of self-medication and he perverts it and tells you to use alcohol, use drugs, use sex, use power, use whatever. But it's, it's not a new vice. It's a virtue that has been twisted. Self-medication, Bible says that when you have joy, the pain that you feel, that the pain in your life gets numbed because of the joy so greatly overpowers it. The devil can't create bad things. He just takes good things and twists and perverts them. Take anything, take human sexuality. Like human sexuality was designed by God to be awesome. And it is, by the way. Hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. I know from experience at least three times. I have three children. That's all you need to know. But the devil perverts it. It's a good thing. But then the devil takes it and, and, it, and when it's not used in, in the appropriate context, it becomes destructive, it becomes damaging, it becomes hurtful. Take any wicked thing and you can actually trace the good thing that was perverted in it. And in the same way, the devil does the same thing with this idea of our words. We know that words create reality. We see that in Genesis chapter one, when God speaks, things happen. But the devil has tried to pervert that and say that you have the same power. So now, if you were born a girl, but you say, I'm a boy, 
that that's reality. That's reality. And then what the devil does on the other side of the coin, he tries to silence anybody that would say anything otherwise. Brands you a bigot, brands you for being someone who, who is a purveyor of hate speech. Why? Because the devil knows the power of your words. And he knows if I can get people to, to say these things, then, then, it must, then it has to be reality. But it's a perversion. It's a perversion of what God, only God, only God. When God speaks, it's only his words that have the power to bring life. And I want you to listen to me as we close. Don't listen to what the devil says about you. Don't listen to what others say about you. This is a big one. Don't listen to what you say about you. You only listen to what God says about you. And then you learn to speak of yourself the things that God says about you and only put yourself around people that also speak the things that God says about you. God says that you are more than a conqueror. So the next time somebody in your life, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's even yourself, you say, oh my gosh, I'm never going to beat this. I'm never going to get out from under this. Don't align yourself with that. Say, no, 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 the Bible says, God says of me that I am more than a conqueror, that I am the head and not the tail. I'm above only, not beneath. You will learn to speak those things over. And it is an ongoing battle. I wish I could tell you that as the pastor here that I've just got that, you know, whooped. I don't. I don't. Even my, this last week has been a hard week for me, just some stuff in, in business and some things I've been trying to figure out. And I've had to, my wife rebuked me. I was like, hey, you can't say things like that. So she became the language. She started canceling me. I said, you don't cancel me. I'm the canceler. I cancel your cancel. It's an ongoing battle. You'll find yourself when discouragement comes in, you'll find yourself wanting to Maybe somebody in your family says, oh, yeah, you know, oh, yeah, that's heart disease runs in our family. Just be ready. It's going to get you too. Don't align yourself with that. Don't say, oh, yeah, 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 I guess so. No, no. no, you learn to speak the words that God has spoken. What God says is that when someone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Your DNA has completely changed. It doesn't matter what your family of origin was, what your parents did, didn't do, what your genetics is, what your heredity is, it doesn't matter. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. If you'll learn to align yourself with that, that will change your life. When, when, when something comes to speak against you, say, oh yeah, that's just heart disease runs in your family. Oh yeah, you know, cancer runs in your family. You say, not for me, not for me, because I am a new creation. I carry the DNA of heaven. That's how you use your words to speak identity over yourself. Why don't we all hop to our feet as we close? The Bible says all kinds of amazing things about you. That's why you should read it. Because it says a lot of really great things about you. But probably the greatest thing it says about you, probably the most precious word that God uses when he talks about you is a four-letter word, mine. Mine. Isaiah 43, verse 1 says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. That's the most important word that God says about you is that if you allow him, he will make you his, his possession, that you'll belong to him. The Bible also says that if you're in his hand, there's nothing that can snatch you out of his grip, nothing. Nothing here on earth, nothing in heaven above, nothing. So 
my question for you today as we close is, is he yours and are you his? It's interesting, the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth, if you say that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Even salvation hinges on the power of your words, of you saying, I believe it. I believe it's true. I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe that God raised him from the dead. That's all, that's all it is. But you have to say it. You have to say it because there's words, there's power behind the words that we speak. So why don't we just bow our heads and close our eyes as we close. And I just want to ask anybody in here, can you say that? Can you say, I am his? And when God talks to you, would he say of you, you are mine? And if the answer is no, we can change that today. And it's exactly how I said, I'll just walk you through a very, very simple prayer. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. God will pull you out of the miry clay. He will set your feet upon a rock, the Bible says, and he will call you mine. It doesn't matter what you, where you've been, what you've done. You may say, oh, but yeah, that, that may work for everybody else, but not for me. You don't know. That's why the Bible is, like literally every character in the Bible is an absolute disaster. Moses murdered somebody with his bare hands, by the way. The Apostle Paul, the Bible says he delighted in the stoning of people. Like, you got to be a really sick, twisted guy to, to watch people die by being pelted by stones, and that, you, that like, gets your, your heart rate up. That's really messed up. But then God shifted his destiny in a second on the road to Damascus. The scales fell off of his eyes, and he became the most prolific writer in the New Testament, one of the, one of the greatest figures in Christianity of all time. Why? Because God has the power to transform. And so if you're in here today and you've never given your life to him, you've never actually allowed him to call you mine, to call you his, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I'm just going to walk you through a really, really simple prayer. And maybe you maybe you once walked with God, you grew up in church, but you've just fallen away, slipped away, whatever. Life just kind of kicked you and got you down for a little bit, but you know that God's calling you home today, or maybe you're just, you just feel far from him. If you're in any one of those categories of people, then here in a second, I'm going to count to three, and I want you to shoot a hand up while every head is bowed and every eye closed, and so I'll know, and I can walk you through this very, very simple prayer. So that's you today. Want him to call you his on the count of three hands up. One, two, three, all over the room, hands up. I see that hand. Great. I see that hand. I see that hand. Who else needs to make that decision? I see that hand. I see that hand. Who else? I see that hand in the back. Amazing. Who else needs to make that decision today? wait a couple more seconds. I need to close, but want to make sure to give everybody an opportunity. Life can be different forever. I'm telling you, I used to be an absolute mess. Once I've seen your hand, you go ahead and put it down. I used to be an absolute mess, and I, I wish I could tell you that I just self-disciplined my way through it and pulled myself up by my bootstraps, but that's not the way it worked. I had an encounter, a radical encounter with God, and my life changed forever. Is there anybody else that wants that today? Says, yeah, you know, I need that, and I need that. Awesome, awesome. Well, hey, can we just give a big round of applause for everybody that raised their hand? I'm so proud of you. It's so amazing. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to walk you through a very, very simple prayer just there in, in your seat. But what I'd like for you to do is after we pray together, I'm going to dismiss the service. And um, if you did raise your hand and, and, and you prayed this prayer here in a second alongside me, I want you to come and see the renterias. This is Nashla and Chito. How cool are you if your name is Chito? I wish I was named after a chip. That'd be awesome. 
championship, by the way. I want you to go see Nashla and Chito. They've just got a team of people, and they'll just take a second and pray with you. All you got to do is, it won't be weird, just walk up to them and say, hey, I, I raised my hand. The pastor told me to come see you. Here I am. And they'll, they'll just take a second. They'll talk with you. They'll give you a Bible. They'll give you a little book written by one of the pastors in our church called Following Jesus. And it's just a really helpful book. You know, sometimes kind of feel overwhelming, like starting this kind of whole new life. And okay, I've got this Bible and it's like a thousand pages and I don't even know where to start. And everybody's, you know, raising their hands and singing. And what's that all about? And then people pray. I don't know. They pray weird. I don't and it's just this book breaks down what a life of faith looks like in really, really simple terms. You know, like why we raise our hands when we sing, why we pray the way we do, things like that. Just really basic things. So that's our gift to you. So make sure to go see Chito and Nashla on, on the way out. And I do want to just encourage you. Oh, wait, do we pray the prayer? Oh, we should probably do that, huh? That'd be a good idea. Sorry, I'm new here. I'm just kidding. So let's all bow our heads and let's pray this this prayer together. And and, and if if you raise your hand, I want you to pray this loud and proud. And everybody in the building is going to be praying this alongside you because we don't want you to feel singled out. We don't want you to feel like it's it's just you. When you choose God as your Father, you get a bunch of amazing brothers and sisters too. So come on, everybody in the building, loud and proud. Let's say, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you today for sending Jesus on a rescue mission to save me. Today, I repent of my sins and I know that I am forgiven. I declare you have a destiny for me. An adventure awaits. Heaven is my home. God is my Father. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen, amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen. For more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.